Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you very, very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. And um, if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe it's just been a little while since you've been in the Lord's house here on Cedar Street, we are in the midst of a sermon series entitled Set Apart, as we've walked word by word and verse by verse through the book of First Peter. And the reason it's set apart is because the Apostle Peter is telling us, verse after verse, that if we are Christian, if we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we are set apart from those who don't, and we should be drastically different on how we live everyday life. We've said that we're set apart in everything from our salvation to our holiness, our suffering, our hope, our values, our priorities, our motives, our relationships, and even our perseverance in the faith. There just has to be something different about us if we have the living God indwelling our soul and other people do not. We've addressed a lot of topics and we kind of want to go back today to suffering, but more specifically, I want to talk about how it is that we who are set apart as Christians respond to the attacks of evil. Because if you're a Christian, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked. In fact, the title of our message here this morning is Repaying Evil with Righteousness. This reminds me of of an interesting story. Maybe this illustration will connect with you that took place in my life back in 2005. In 2005, I was broadcasting college basketball games for Stetson University in Deland, Florida. And they sent me out to do a conference basketball tournament in Dothan, Alabama, right there in Dwayne Tucker land. And I was out there in Dothan, Alabama, did a couple games, and then it was time to drive all the way back to Daytona Beach, Florida the same day. And so I had to leave and head back east as the sun was starting to set west. Well, guess what happened? I'm driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden, I start looking and saying, wow, it is dark It is really dark. Is it just darker in Alabama than the rest of the world? I've never seen it this dark. And then all of a sudden, it clicked. My headlights are not working. (laughs) So all of a sudden, panic sets in. I'm on the interstate in the middle of the evening with headlights that are not working. And so I veered to the side of the interstate and put it in park And what's the first thing I did in reaction to that? I started slamming the steering wheel and screaming at it in utter frustration. And then I just bowed my head. And out of complete despair, about 10 seconds later, I opened my eyes and boom, the headlights came on. Now, the point of this story is not to tell you about the power of prayer because I was not a Christian then. And when my head was bowed, I was not praying. Here's why I bring that story up. I could have screamed at that steering wheel all night long and it wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. The only way that I would ever have gotten out of the darkness is with light. And so it is in our lives every single day. Everyone, including non-Christians, but specifically Christians who Satan has put a target on their back, you are going to face evil on a daily basis. And the question is not if, but the question is when. You are face-to-face with evil and sin and hurt and attacks on you. Are you going to respond to darkness with darkness, or are you going to respond to darkness with light? 
That's the question that we need to ask ourselves, and that's the question that Peter wants to address here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, 7, or verses 8 through 17. So here's the big idea in one sentence. We are set apart by our resolve to repay all evil against us with a righteousness that reflects Christ. For the note takers, I'll say it again. We are set apart by our resolve to repay all evil against us with a righteousness that reflects Christ. So if you want to know more about how it is that we can respond to evil with righteousness, please grab your Bible and join me in the book of 1 Peter. Again, Peter, 1 Peter towards the end of your New Testament, after the book of James, before 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. Be on page 1205 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 8 and work our way down through verse 17. Hear God's word to us starting in verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we love you. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the day that you've made. It's a day filled with blessings. But it's a day in in a broken world that's also filled with evil. And you have not shielded and protected us from all evil, Lord, but you've called us to respond to it with the light of righteousness. Easier said than done. In fact, impossible without your strength. So, Father, I pray that you would just stir our hearts and minds, keep us from distraction here this morning in our time of worship as we walk through this verse by verse and help us to apply this to our lives because your word is relevant to everything we're going through in our lives right now. I pray that you help us to understand this and submit to this and apply this, that we would know what it is to be people who respond to evil with righteousness. May you be richly glorified in our time together here this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Now, I've been saying the last few weeks, and again, I know uh, as summer is drawing to an end, a lot of you have been coming in and out and on vacation, completely understandable. So let me do just real quickly the review of what we've been talking about the past few weeks, and that is this. 
All the things that Peter is telling us to do in a broken world and today telling us to respond to evil with righteousness, the only way that we'll be able to do it is if we truly believe in what's called the providence of God. If you don't believe in the providence of God, all the willpower in the world will not allow you to respond to evil with righteousness. So the question is, what is the providence of God? Well, I defined this a few weeks ago in these words. The providence of God means that he superintends and has full control over every single detail, large or small, in every moment of existence. That means there's not one single moment in human history that God is not in full control over. So then the next question is, well, why does he allow tragedy and allow sin if he's in control? Well, I said before, he either initiates or he permits. There are things that God completely initiates by his will, and then there, in part of his will, there are things that simply because he gives us the ability to make genuine choices, he permits because God is not the author of sin, but he gave us the ability to make choices, and a lot of times we choose sin. And he allows us to make those choices because he's given us the ability to make them. All right, but when you think about the providence of God, that in a situation, whatever you're at in your life right now, that God understood and fully allowed everything to happen that is happening in your life right now, you also have to know this about God. He is good and he does good. All right, that's exactly what uh, Psalm 119.68 says. God is good and God does good. There's no evil in God. He doesn't take pleasure in the suffering of his children. He allows them to suffer, but he allows them to suffer because he's working things together for their good and for his glory. And what's the ultimate end? What's the ultimate good for everybody in this room? God's goal for your life is that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? God's goal is that you become Jesus. You become the ideal human being with your own personality and your own background. God wants you to have the heart and the mind and the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ who is not only fully God but was also fully human and showed us what humanity should have been before sin. That's God's goal for your life and that happens through persecution as much as it does prosperity. And God allows us to experience suffering because in the suffering, when we reach out to him and we trust in his grace, it begins to change us from the inside out. So if we trust in God that he's in control and we trust that he's good and we trust that what he does is good, we should respond with trust, contentment, and also submission. Submitting to his plan And the submission we're called to this morning in this passage is that we're committed to responding to evil with righteousness because this is the heart of Christ. Righteousness is something God calls us not only to be, he made us righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's also called us to live it out every day. In fact, we're reminded in that famous passage in Ephesians chapter 6 that it is armor. It's the breastplate that we put on as we go out and fight the battles that God has laid before us in the strength of God. We must be living out the righteousness that we've been called to be through the work of Jesus Christ. So let us look at three ways that we can repay evil for righteousness. And I want to say none of us are perfect at this. All right, I was reminded this week alone of areas that I need to do some improving and responding to persecution 
in righteousness. So this is a time for us to all do some heart examination about where we are and how we respond to evil. So let us look, number one, at repaying evil with a righteous response. Repay evil with a righteous response. Listen again to verses eight through nine. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. All right, so verse 8 is chock full of a lot of different areas where we're called to, as believers, be different than the rest of the world. And this is by remembering sin and grace. When we remember what it is that we really deserve because of our sinful nature and then the grace that God has given us, it should enable us to respond to the evil of others with the grace that we ourselves have received. And he talks about some tangible ways because God wants us to tangibly respond to this message, tangible ways that we can do this. The first thing he says is unity of mind. We are to be unified with other Christians to be light in a world of darkness. You ought to be unified with the idea that when you get out of bed, you're representing Jesus Christ no matter where you are. We're also called to have sympathy. We sympathize with the pain and the separation of a broken world. No one has it easy in this world. I don't care how wealthy they are. I don't care what family they come from. I don't care what they're doing for a living. No one has it easy. It may seem that way because people aren't fighting what you're fighting, but we all have battles to fight because we're all broken. But we're broken people who worship a healing Savior. And that's why we have sympathy for others in their state of brokenness. The other part is brotherly love. We show tender brotherly love towards others and a tender heart. We're tender towards others because they're, they're worthy of dignity because they're made in the image of God no matter who they are or what they've done. And then we're called to have a humble mind. We, rem- we remain humble because we remember what would happen if God left us where we were without his grace. But for the grace of God, we could go in the same direction as the person that we're looking at who's committing that sin. It is only by God's grace that we are who we are and where we are. So verse 9 tells us plainly, do not repay evil for evil. Blessing our enemies is how we're set apart because guess what? It is contrary to human nature. There is nothing natural in you that wants to respond to somebody who hurts you by seeking their blessing. There's nothing natural about that. It's supernatural. And again, anybody who is here today who's not truly a Christian, you may hear this and you may even try this, but by the time you get done lunch at Bevericks, all the willpower you could muster up to try to bless somebody who hurts you, it'll go right out the window when they hurt you again. Because there's nothing natural about human beings wanting to bless those who hurt them. But when you have the Spirit of God living inside of you and the greatest desire that you have every day is to make God great in your life and to honor him with every waking moment, then all of a sudden, you want to be light in a dark world. And we shine light in darkness by responding to evil with righteousness. Now, what is natural for the human heart? There's, a, there's an old Irish proverb that I think tells us what the heart is really like. Here it is. It says, may those that love us love us, and those that don't love us, may God turn their hearts And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we'll know them by their limping. All right, that's kind of how we really feel. God, 
if they don't like me, turn their hearts. But if they don't turn their hearts, turn their ankles. Let them limp. Let them feel pain for the way they've made me feel. That's how we really naturally are. But that's not what God tells us to do. He tells us to respond to them with blessing. I love this quote that we uh, talked about on Wednesday night during the summer during our study of uh, Overcomer. David Jeremiah said, this is how we respond to evil. He says, don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it, just reverse it. All right, I'll say it again. Don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it, just reverse it. You reverse the evil that is done unto you and you do it with righteousness. You take the darkness that is cast over you and you respond by shining light. Now, here's what I've learned. I've lived in South Georgia now for most of my adult life, off and on. A couple of interludes, but I came here in 98 and I've left and come back three times. And here's what I've learned about my uh, almost 20 years in the South. We get this concept, but we get it sarcastically. What happens when somebody does something to hurt you? Your response may be, well, bless it, bless it, bless it, bless it, bless his little old heart. (laughs) Do you really mean that? Or are you just using a southern colloquialism to be sarcastic? You don't really want to bless them. That type of sarcasm is another way of insulting them. If Jesus were here, he'd say, yes, bless it. Yes, bless his little heart. Yes, seek his blessing. That's what I want. You're right. Cut out the sarcasm, but use the same words. Bless it, bless it, bless it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying bless it. He said it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 39 through 40. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now here's the deal. Why is that so hard? It's hard because we want justice. When somebody hurts us, we want them to be hurt in return. And if you're being honest, you want to be present when it is that they are hurt because of what they've done to you. However, when we're living in faith, we can respond to evil with righteousness because we know in God's time, And in God's way, God himself will seek our vengeance. God himself will make all things right. God is a God of justice, and nothing will sneak past him. But in the meantime, we respond with righteousness, and when we do that, we leave the vengeance up to God. We let God do what God does. In Romans chapter 12, verse 20, we're going to study this further tonight. In Romans 12, 20, it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I'm not saying that when you do something good for someone, you ought to be staring at their head, just picturing hot coals getting put on top. If that helps you, maybe you do need to do that. I don't know. But what I do, the the, the real point of Romans 12 is, listen, respond to your enemy with blessing. And in doing so, you're saying, God, I trust you that you will seek my vengeance in a way that seems good to you, I'm going to respond in blessing because even if they don't deserve your grace, I didn't deserve your grace either. Our righteous response keeps God on the throne. And here's the deal. I can remember this in my life the past few years. A couple of years ago, I remember when someone deeply hurt me and I wanted everything in my, my being to respond by seeking my vengeance. And I remember being in my prayer closet and the words came out of my mouth, God, you better be real. 
You better be real because I'm trusting that you're going to seek my vengeance because this hurts so bad right now. I want, to, I want to just explode out of this prayer closet and seek my own vengeance. But I trust you. I trust that you will do this. You remember the most prominent text in the entire New Testament on faith is this, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You have a conviction if you're a Christian that God's going to seek your vengeance. All right, it's not something you're probably going to see. And trust me when I say this, there have been a few times that I've seen people who have hurt me be deeply hurt themselves and I didn't, I didn't experience joy when that happened. Well, maybe for a few seconds, but not for very long. Most of the time, I enter into empathy because I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I don't care who your worst enemy is. I don't care what they've done to you. I know you want to see them suffer, but the joy of watching someone else suffer would only last for a moment. Let God deal with them. Hand them over to God. Seek their blessing and let God use you as a source of light in darkness. So again, number one, we repay evil with a righteous response. Number two, we repay evil with a righteous restraint. This is even harder. Listen to verses 10 through 14. It says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So there are actually some physical signs that we're responding to evil with righteousness. Some physical areas that we show restrain. And again, this only happens supernaturally by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You try to do this by willpower, you'll fail by the time you finish lunch. All right? This is something that God does in us. And the three things he mentions in verses 10 through 11 is the restraint of our tongues, our lips, and our feet. All right? We're called first to have tongues that are restrained from evil. This reminds me of a sermon that I preached during a sermon series this year on weighing our words. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. If I had to be honest with you, I have to look back at the regrets I have in my life. The amount of things I regret saying versus the things I regret not saying are like 10 to 1. How many of us wish we could take back our words versus how many times we wish we could have said more? Now, there are times that I I say to myself, you should have stood up and said something. Those things happen. But 10 to 1, my greatest regrets are the times that out of a moment of pure frustration, I said something really stupid. And I said, you know, I can't take it back. It already came out. I can't put it back in. And so the way that we're called to respond is to respond with a tongue that is restrained. Not only do we restrain from saying the wrong things, we also have lips that are restrained from lying and and speaking deceit. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Sometimes even the best of Christians can be tempted to gossip 
and to even say hurtful and wrong things about someone else out of retaliation for what's been done to them. And God says, I ain't going to bless that. I'm just not going to bless it. They may have been guilty, but now you have been ushered into the same guilt they have because you, you, you refuse to respond by honoring me with your lips. And then also we're called to have feet that are restrained from retaliation and discipline towards peace. Jesus clearly said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What marks you as a Christian is first and foremost that you're seeking peace. You no longer seek self-promotion. You seek God exaltation. All right, the, or, uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he must increase. And we do that by seeking peace, by seeking peace. So if we do those things, if we have a restrained tongue and lips that don't lie and feet that are seeking peace, how does God respond to us? Well, he answers that in verse 12. There are spiritual blessings that God gives us when we respond this way. And those are that he has eyes on the righteous, ears open to our prayer, and a face that's turned toward us. Let me speak about those three. First, God's eyes are on the righteous. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. In fact, this morning in our psalm reading, Psalm 33.18, His eyes are on those who fear him and hope in his steadfast love. There are billions of people on the earth and God has unlimited power that he wants to give to his people. But his eyes are scanning back and forth looking at the hearts of those who say, God, your will no matter what. And God says, I'm gonna get on that. I'm gonna respond to that, keep my eyes on them and give them all the power they need to honor me because I know that they can't do it in their own strength. So when you respond to evil with righteousness, God will give you the strength to keep on doing it because his eyes are on you. The second, God's ears are open to our prayers. Last week in 1 Peter 3, 7, I said, if a man will not honor his wife, Peter says, your prayers will be hindered. God says, I love you, but I will not listen to you until you take care of your first ministry, men, and that is your wife. If you are not honoring your wife, if you are not supporting your wife, don't expect to drop to your knees and me listen to every word you're saying. But when we do honor God and we are looking to respond to evil with righteousness, God's ears are open to us and we can experience great power in prayer to keep doing his will. And the third, and maybe this is the best part, God's face is toward us and against evil. One of the popular passages in the Old Testament known as the blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, God told Aaron and Moses to pray these words to the nation of Israel. He told them to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. The face of the Lord, that's another way of saying that the presence of God is with you. Now think of people that you would consider passionate Christians that have a joy that the world can't touch. Why is it their joy is like a muscle that has been strengthened? All right, I always go back to the one person we could all agree with is Michael Guido. How did Michael Guido become Michael Guido? The face of God was upon him every day because he had a desire to honor the Lord every day. And he resurrendered his life every day. Do you want to be the type of person that attracts others that come to you because of your radiant light. Well, that light comes by God having his face to shine upon you. 
that you would know his sweet presence. And when you have God, you don't need anything else. You know, I'm reminded of this story. I get emotional when I talk about it because it's a sweet illustration. But Dallas Willard one time talked about a young boy that was 10 years old and he lost his mother. She passed away. And so it was just him and his father. And he, he got really lonely at night. So he would crawl into bed with his father. But he could not fall asleep until he knew that his father was looking at him. And so he would lay in bed and he'd say, Father, is your face turned toward me? And his father would say, Yes, son. My face is turned toward you. I love you and I'm here with you. And he'd finally fall asleep. There are some of you right now that are living in such dire circumstances Everyone in this room is struggling with something right now. I don't have to guess. Every soul in this room is struggling in some area, maybe physical, maybe spiritual, maybe financial, maybe emotional. Whatever the case is, you need the presence of God in your life. You need to know that the face of God is with you, that he's shining upon you, and he's walking with you through everything that you're wrestling with. I claim this promise in my own life right now. But verse 13, he tells us, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? In other words, how could somebody else harm you, eternally harm you, if God's face is shining upon you right now? All right, I'm reminded another thing that Paul says, almost the same thing in Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you and God is with you and his face is shining upon you, then what kind of strength can the darkness of evil have against you on this side of heaven? His face is upon those who respond to evil with righteousness. So number one, we repay evil with a righteous response. Number two, we repay evil with a righteous restraint. Third and finally, we repay evil with a righteous reason. A righteous reason. Listen to verses 15 through 17. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good that if it should be God's will, then for doing evil. Now, as we look at verse 15, this is the prominent New Testament text on being an evangelistic witness for Christ. If people always say, well, we got to do the work of evangelism, they always turn to 1 Peter 3, 15, because we're testifying about who he is and what he has done and where our hope is and how we can be like Christ, all in that one verse. And that hope comes from Jesus. He's the person of our hope. But that message is what's called the gospel. All right, our our mission statement here is that we believe heads, hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That hope that we talked about in the psalm reading this morning, the hope that only can be offered in the gospel. So the question is, do you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? There's different ways of expressing the gospel. I always do it in five words. Okay, those that know me know I always use these five words because it's the whole message. And I want you to listen closely. The five words of the gospel are God, man, sin, 
Christ and response. I'll say it again. God, man, sin, Christ, and response. All right, let's walk through those five. God. The Bible teaches us that God is eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that he's eternally loving and eternally holy. Man is who God has made in his image, and he's made us to be a reflection of his love and his holiness. Sin is what entered the world when we took our ability to make genuine choices and we wanted to be the God of our own lives and we kicked God off the throne and tainted his love and his holiness. Jesus Christ came, fully God, fully man, to show the world what love and holiness is all about. And he took on the punishment of our sin and he gave us the righteousness that he earned, that whoever would put their faith in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that's number five, response. The gospel commands a response. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. As we saw in the video during the offering, the judgment, there are those that he said will not be in the Lamb's book of life because he did not purchase them with his blood because they did not respond to his offer in repentance and faith. That's good news. It's good news because you're offered the gift of eternal life simply by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's hope that God offers to every soul that has ever existed. He offers it to everyone freely. Come, whosoever will come and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And a lot of us would say amen to that, but then here's the next part that we miss. We do so with gentleness and respect. All right, sometimes when I'm in Savannah and I'm on River Street and there's guys standing on the corner with bullhorns saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here and they're screaming and hollering, they get the message right, but I think they get the tone wrong. All right, uh, Dustin, you know this because we talked about this at the Guido Bible College for several weeks, but when we speak, one of the things that we have, the ancient Greeks would call it our pathos. Our pathos is our emotion and our tone. Sometimes the way that we speak can open someone's heart or their ear to listen to what we have to say. We do things with gentleness and respect because they're worthy of respect being made in the image of God, whether they're sinful or not. And when we're gentle and respectful, even if they don't agree with us, at least they'll give us a listening ear so that we can share some gospel seeds. Sometimes we either don't share the good news, we don't share the hope that we have, or we share the hope that we have without a tone of gentleness and respect, and they're closed off to us, and they don't want to hear what we have to say. All right, we trust that salvation belongs to the Lord, and we simply scatter those seeds. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 basically says that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to God. So when it comes to sharing our testimony or sharing the good news, we don't have to wait for them to respond and try to lead them in a prayer and make sure they're saved. We share the good news and we say, brother or sister, this is what God has done in my life and this is what God will do in your life as well. And we give them time for the spirit of God to convict them so that they could be saved and have the hope that we have as well. We do it with gentleness and we do it with respect. And something in verse 16 is very alarming. It says, when you are slandered. It doesn't say if you are slandered. It says when you are slandered. If you share the gospel with people, you're going to be slandered. All right, you're either going to be outright rejected. You may be made fun of. 
All right, you may be called uh, anti-intellectual, all right, that you have a small mind because who believes the gospel in an age of intellectualism? When you tell someone they must believe in Jesus to be saved, guess what else you're telling them, even if you don't say it? You're worthy of hell, and that's where you're going to go without Jesus. Can I tell you something? That's offensive. All right? In our own sin, none of us believe in our own nature that we're worthy of hell because all of us think, well, I'm a good person. I mean, I, I give to the needy. I pay my taxes. I, you know, I've, I've, I'm a good citizen. All right? I've, I'm good to my family. I love my children, my grandchildren. Would God really send me to hell? The Bible says that we're called to be a perfect reflection of him and any sin at all would compromise his holiness and therefore we could not be with him forever. So yes, when you call someone to repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they must admit that they're sinners who are worthy of hell. And if you tell someone that, they're going to be offended. So Peter says, not if, but when you are slandered, be ready. All right? Verse 16 says, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When you respond in righteousness and they slander you, they'll have no actions to point and say, I don't want to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Because you respond with light and you respond with gentleness and you respond with respect. So we repay evil with a righteous response. We repay evil with a righteous restraint. And we repay evil with a righteous reason. Let me sum this up by saying this. When we repay evil with righteousness, we not only reflect Christ's heart, but we will also receive Christ's rewards. Let me say it again. When we repay evil with righteousness, we not only reflect Christ's heart, but we will also receive Christ's rewards. I remember years ago, I was sitting in Larry Guido's office, and he made a statement, and it stuck with me. Here's what he said. He said, every human being in human history responds with rewards. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, there's nothing in life that you do without some type of reward. And I said, really? He said, think about it. When you preach on Sunday and you look out at the congregation like I'm doing right now, every single one of you is here for some reason. All right, for those of you that love Jesus Christ, you may legitimately be here because you want the reward of experiencing his power and his presence among his people. All right, there are some of you right now that want him to bless your life, and so you're coming here to confess sins and seek his presence. There are some of you that have children, and you're bringing them up here in church because you want them to know Christ. None of these things are wrong. God doesn't tell us to stop seeking rewards. He just says make sure that they're righteous, heavenly rewards. All right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, here's what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done on the body, whether good or evil. All right, this is not a, a judgment of salvation. That's the great white throne for non-believers. This is the judgment of works, and it's for rewards for believers. All right, there are some people that think once I'm saved and I got my seat reserved for me in heaven, I'm gonna do what I want on the rest of this side of earth, and I'll just worry about heaven when I get there. I've said before, some people say, well, if I'm scrubbing the toilets in heaven, at least I'm in heaven. Well, that's bad theology on several fronts. Number one, there's no toilets in heaven, I promise you. All right? But number two, you're going to miss out on all types of heavenly rewards 
Because guess what? In the new heavens and new earth, when heaven and earth collide and create a new world, we're going to have new bodies, we're going to live on a new earth, and we're going to live and breathe, and we're going to work for all of eternity, but it's going to be joy. Work will not be stressful. It will be joyful. And God will put people over cities in the new Jerusalem who've been faithful to what was entrusted to them on this side of heaven. I always say this is like a heavenly job interview. All right, you're interviewing now for what you're going to be doing for all of eternity. And so honor God by responding to evil with righteousness and show him that you're willing to live for him now and he will reward you now, but the type of rewards that you're going to receive in heaven will be exponential. I mean, really, we can't earn our salvation, but boy, there are so many rewards crowns that we're going to to wear and maybe we'll cast those crowns at the the feet of Christ but we're still going to be honored by God for those that were faithful here and it doesn't mean the people that are standing in the in the spotlight I'm a preacher and I have 180 people probably staring at me right now but there's people behind the scene all right there's there's people like like Ricky Bragg and William Jones and others every Sunday that you don't see that show up week after week and they do the work of God they're going to be rewarded So when it comes to responding to evil, think about your heavenly rewards. God will bless you. He will strengthen you now to do the work and he'll reward you for that work for all of eternity. And that is how we respond to evil with righteousness. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I confess to you right now on behalf of every soul represented in this room, this calling that you've called us to respond to evil with righteousness is impossible in our own strength. And it's impossible without us seeing the heavenly rewards that lie ahead. And it's impossible by us forgetting the grace that you offered to us when we were not worthy so that we can offer that grace to others who are not worthy as well. Father, would you help us Where we have no strength, give us strength. Where sin is natural, help us to be supernatural and respond to evil with righteousness. God, I pray for everyone in this room, whatever they're battling, whatever evil or whatever struggle they're they're battling in their day-to-day lives, Father, I just pray right now that you would sweeten and strengthen their spirit to believe that you're good and you'll seek their vengeance and that you're calling them simply to respond to evil with the blessing of righteousness and you will be in their midst. Father, help us to be light in a dark place and respond to evil with righteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.